Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. Today is the last episode of season eight, and what a season it has been. We talked about picky eating, sensory issues, and food allergies, as well as adapted baby-led weaning, fast food marketing, and foods that help with constipation and acid reflux. We've also had so many great guests like Melina Malkani, Dr. Sheila Kilbane, and Dr. Jill Rapley, who pioneered baby-led weaning. If you've listened to one or all of the episodes this season, thank you for being a listener. I'm really grateful. It's my goal to put out episodes that give you both the science and real-life advice that work for your family. I'll be planning next season in just a few weeks, so if there's an idea or guest you'd like to hear, head on over to my website, julierevelant.com, and shoot me an email. All right, so we all know that childhood obesity has been an issue in the U.S. for years, and solving for it is complex, and of course, COVID hasn't helped. We're looking to policymakers and pediatricians, parents, and new programs. And although we've definitely seen a lot of progress, more needs to be done because rates are on the rise. And as a parent, there's a lot you can do, and it actually can be quite simple. Promoting a positive body image and family mealtimes are the two things that can prevent disordered eating and unhealthy weight gain. That's Dr. Carla Lester, a pediatrician, certified life and weight coach, diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine and founder of IME Community, the first web-based life and weight coaching platform for teens. Dr. Lester was on the show on season two, and I'm so thrilled to have her back because she has a really unique perspective about how to raise healthy kids. She and I talked about what the latest research shows about childhood obesity, why BMI isn't always the best indicator of weight, and what you can do at home to raise healthy kids. She also talks about how to avoid passing your own fears about your weight onto your child, including what to say and what not to say. And she shares her ideas about the Almond Mom, a story that recently went viral. There's so much information in this episode that you can start using now. And I know you're going to love this interview with Dr. Carla Lester. Dr. Lester, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So let's talk about your story and how you became interested in childhood obesity. Well, I would love to. Uh, I'm a community pediatrician. I have been for a long time and I'm now a certified life and weight coach and board certified in obesity medicine. I've been working on childhood obesity for nearly 20 years of my career. I even started a nonprofit called Teach a Kid to Fish and our vision was creating community solutions for children's health. I then started a weight management program in collaboration with uh, Children's here in Nebraska and led that and then uh, moved my nonprofit to launch a population health center. Found, you know, that work is, is good, but it wasn't what I set out to do, which was to be helpful. And I went through my own weight loss and life coaching journey, started in September 2017. Never dreamed I would have a weight issue, but I developed one and said, oh my goodness, we're doing this all wrong. We're getting it wrong. Obesity is hormonal. It's not simply caloric. We're not addressing the epidemic of insulin resistance. 
We're just telling patients to restrict calories, which can be harmful. And we're so BMI focused. And the other thing was we're not doing enough to really support the parents to make the changes in the home. And so I decided, among other reasons, to resign from that position and said, well, what's next? And that's when I decided to become a life coach, to take my obesity medicine boards and to launch IME Community for Teens and get on TikTok. And I have learned so much being on TikTok about what patients really experience who struggle with their weight and comorbidities like type 2 diabetes, PCOS, fatty liver disease, metabolic syndrome, what they actually experience in the healthcare setting, um, all the bullying that's out there, body image issues. And it's, it's just it's been, it's been an amazing ride of learning. That's awesome. So, you know, we're about, I guess, three years now, right, out of the pandemic. And we all know that our kids were, weren't were eating well and were very sedentary. Um, but now, what do we know? What is the research telling us about childhood obesity? Well, there was a study out recently. It's published in the, it's actually from July of 2022, published in pediatrics that people can look up that shows childhood obesity incidents. And they looked at two cohorts uh, from kindergarten to fifth grade, so 1998 to 2008, and then another cohort of 2010 to 2020. And they feel like the uh, data, the results are generalizable to the larger population. And what it shows is that childhood obesity, severe obesity, and health disparities, especially among among non-Hispanic Black children, is on the rise. And so it's, it is very disheartening. We know that, you know, during the pandemic, that was a risk, but this data is actually kind of pre-pandemic. And now we know that data shows that there has been weight gain. Our, our children and teens are into, in a mental health um, crisis. And so let's not double down on what hasn't worked, what hasn't been effective. And we have to be willing to be agile, to listen and to move forward in a different way. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because rates have been on the rise for years. And I'd love to get your perspective on why you think rates are increasing because so often we read eat healthy exercise, but it's not that easy. Right. It's, it's not enough. And we've hunkered down in this energy balance model of obesity, which is the old calories in minus calories out. And that became popularized and is still the theory of the day, unfortunately, and is very rampant and embedded in healthcare. And doctors say that every day, just a simple thing, like you need to um, lose weight, you need to eat less and move more. Well, that's, that's not helpful. That's not really motivating a person to create healthy habits. And so the reason for it, I believe, and we should be calling it an epidemic of insulin resistance instead of obesity, is that we have ultra-processed food industry and the powerful, especially neuromarketing, digital tactics to, to children and teens that are so powerful and drive the um, over-desire condition pathways in the brain for ultra-processed foods, which are a combination of an addictive trifecta of refined sugar, trans fats, and salt. And, and then obviously at lack of access to healthy foods. So that's a health disparity. So 
when we're seeing severe obesity worsening in non-Hispanic Black children, and we see you know parts of communities that don't have access to healthy food, that's obviously a problem and a major contributor. And then the other thing that I believe ties into it and what I'm seeing in the teens that I coach is this level of hypervigilance and cortisol and kind of chronic toxic stress based on, you know, all their exposures. Some of it's the social media, um, this image of, you know, perfection, body image, a beauty standard that isn't even attained by like, say the Kardashians who are putting it out there. Those are all you know, doctored photos, but that's the standard and it's unattainable. It's unhealthy to reach it. Um, And it makes our teens, our children feel like they are never enough. They can never do enough. They can never rise to that standard. And I see this kind of like um, body image, like perfectionism uh, and problems coming from that. And I think with the pandemic too, all the, you know, kind of stresses and the, you know, cortisol being released and having a lot of stress in your life is, is a contributor to, you know, increased blood sugar and insulin. So it adds to the insulin resistance. Yeah, that is such a good point. It's like, you know, when I was a kid, it was all like the the really super skinny models. And now it's taken to a whole other level with not only how, you know, these celebrities and influencers dress, but like you said, the filters that they can use and the doctored photos. And, and I think also with the younger kids, it's, it's really incredible. I mean, I'll, I'll say, you know, even when I bring my daughters to Target to pick out clothes, it blows my mind, the types of clothes that they're selling to my kids are nine and 11, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it's like, it, it even shows up there where there's that level of this is how you should dress and this is the perfection that you should you should attain. Um, it's really kind of scary. It is. It's disheartening. Um, there is a lot of amazing, you know, body positive influencers, especially on TikTok and on Instagram. And unfortunately, you know, fat phobia, this internalized bias is alive and well. And People feel very entitled, trolls do, to cyberbully, to make comments about a person's body and assume they know something about someone's health based on their body size. And I, I think that's one thing that we can do as a first step is to reclaim a definition of health that doesn't include weight. And for us to actually finally address the actual health issues instead of focusing on weight and body mass index. Absolutely. And so what are the risk factors for childhood obesity besides the ones you already cited? Yeah, genetics are very powerful. Obviously, our health behaviors play a role. And uh, the epidemic of insulin resistance, there was a really great study out from some folks in Arkansas who showed that insulin resistance, if a child had a family history of type 2 diabetes and obesity, that they, no matter what their weight was, um, had shown on their labs insulin resistance. And so I think we need to really get away from that. But the intake of ultra-processed foods and um, stress and not sleeping well. And obviously our kids aren't moving enough. We have this all or nothing, just like with 
with food, with everything that we do, if you're not the best, then it's not worth trying. And you have to look effortless too. That's the other thing I learned when I'm coaching teens is it has to look like you're not a try hard. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've made that, we've kind of embedded that in our sports. So kids, you know, they don't, if they don't make the team and they're not at the top then they don't even want to try. Um, so lack of activity. And then obviously the opportunities for sedentary time. And one of the things I'm learning a lot about is the neuroscience behind um, screen time and, uh, you know, just it kind of concentrates down those reward centers. What brings you reward in your brain? Like kind of the dopamine hits. We all know, like I know I'm on TikTok and it, it you know, that scroll and that kind of constant dopamine hit that we get from it. And that's where, you know, kids are getting that, you know, whether it's from YouTube, TikTok, um, especially I think are the, the number one um, you know, screen time opportunities that create this kind of narrowing down of the reward centers. So they're, they're not, um, we have to open up opportunities for them to feel, you know, natural rewards, getting outside, um, you know, achieving, you know, in school, doing things they enjoyed. Yeah, absolutely. And so when we talk about the short and long-term health risks of childhood obesity, what should parents know? There are, the reason I coach teens is because things like insulin resistance are reversible. So say a patient, I had so many patients, which I call the silent epidemic of fatty liver disease. And if you develop fatty liver disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is the number one indication now in adults for liver transplant, it passed up alcoholism. If you develop that as a teen, as opposed to even a young adult, your risk of having chronic liver disease is increased by 75%. Wow. And so it is a real health issue. And so um, that's very important. There's obviously so much that I'm finding out about TikTok, but so many studies on weight-based victimization and the real, you know, thin privilege that's out there. So there's a lot of, you know, mental, emotional. Um, health issues that uh, come up for kids who are struggling with their weight and health issues associated with it. And are there other non-food related risk factors like trauma experienced in childhood or uh, what we call social determinants of health? Yeah, those are huge risk factors. And obviously in that study, you know, we talked about how we need to start addressing social determinants of health. And I think the ACEs, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, everybody should take the ACEs and, and see what their score is. But it showed, that was the first data that showed that uh, having adverse um, childhood experiences, experiencing chronic toxic stress, because stress itself is okay. Cortisol's, you know, functions as it, if it functions as it's supposed to, to help us focus. Uh, wake up, give us energy. But when we have chronic stress and chronic release of cortisol, that contributes, that creates maladaptive stress, which contributes to chronic diseases like obesity, like, you know, even cancers like type two, two diabetes and, um, and all the mental and uh, emotional and behavioral health issues. 
Yeah. And, and I think also during the pandemic, obviously we saw food insecurity highlighted, but I think what's interesting now that's happening is with inflation, kind of everyone's affected by like this dialing down of health on the foods that they buy. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe they're, they're focusing more on plant-based foods, but I think maybe we're also kind of seeing where we can cut corners and buy cheaper food. And do you think that's going to have an effect on childhood obesity? I do. I think that, you know, when the, these, unfortunately children, you know, everything kind of trickles down to kids, all the badness. And that's, that's unfortunate, but I have no doubt that those, you know, practices are going to impact children's health negatively. Yeah. So we're going to take a break and when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how childhood obesity has been addressed and what needs to happen to make a good impact on it. Cooking with your kids is one of the best ways to encourage them to eat healthy and try new foods. I know it's definitely helped my kids. So if you're looking for a holiday gift that isn't a toy this year and that you can also enjoy together when you're stuck indoors during the winter, then the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. In this course, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like veggie bean burritos and spaghetti squash lasagna. Delicious. This course is designed for kids of all ages, two to teen, and has three different skill levels. My kids and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you want your kids to be healthy, adventurous eaters, sign up by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. As a busy working mom, I don't have time to run from store to store, especially around the holidays. But with Thrive Market, I don't have to. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable, and they ship everything to your door. You'll find everything you need for the holidays, including ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, baking essentials, and snacks for the kids. It's all organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. They even have curated shopping lists that make holiday prep a breeze. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a low income family. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. So Dr. Lester, you know, there's so many differing opinions about how to address the childhood obesity epidemic. Why do you think as a nation we've been really unsuccessful so far? I think that there have been pockets of promise. So in defense of visionary pediatricians, especially, I'm always going to stick up for us. Um, it has been tough within healthcare systems to address it. I think that, first of all, we have so many systemic and longstanding disparities in our healthcare system, whether it's access to care, prenatal care, lack of support uh, for moms with breastfeeding, and all the things we talked about with the social determinants of health. I wrote an article 
published in Kevin MD about healthcare's three epic childhood obesity failures. And I figure if I can say this, anyone can. And the number one thing is that parents have not been supported to actually make the changes within the home. In fact, I think the way that we have addressed it by saying, here's your child's BMI, it's it's elevated. That has created a lot of guilt and shame. I coach parents, so I know. And then what do they do? They get into the fix and solve and they maybe get rigid and restrictive with good intention around eating and judge and shame their kid with eating and it causes harm. So we need to support parents more. Secondly, we have really doubled down on this calories in, calories out and this diet culture approach and the energy imbalance model of obesity without looking at the hormonal model of obesity. And we just have such a lack of understanding of healthcare of the impact of ultra processed foods and the refined sugars and the release of insulin and stress. And the other thing is we have been so focused on body mass index, which is not a measure for everybody and is at best net neutral. And it just, it just hasn't been effective. Yeah. Can you talk more about BMI? Because they still do use it when you go to the pediatrician as an indicator um, of weight. And why, so why is that something we shouldn't really be focusing too much on? I think, you know, weight and BMI are just one measure in the whole collective of things. So it can be a part, like a snapshot of um, a picture of things. I coach uh, doctors to ask permission to talk about weight or BMI because many patients and maybe their parents have had uh, difficult conversations in the past where it's very triggering and shaming and they're not going to get anything out of the out of the visit. So BMI in and of itself is just a measure and it's not, I mean, we use it for um, getting treatment. Uh, we use it for coding, for billing, and um, it's used sometimes in helpful ways to get, you know, large population data, maybe in schools, but, you know, we have to weigh the risk um, and harm to the individual that we're singling out kids with BMI. And it also isn't an exact measure of health. And we've done so much with BMI that's like causal related instead of association and, um, So I wrote an article about that too, just based on my experience with my patients. You know, I had a patient who was an adolescent. He's a great kid. And he just, he didn't care about his BMI. His BMI was high. He was a bit muscular. And he just, he didn't care. So, I mean, I was following along, having these wasted conversations with him about, well, your BMI is up. I mean, he's a teen. He's 16. He's starting to go out with girls. He has a life. And it's it's not motivating when we look at the science behind coaching and positive psychology and health behavior change. Uh, we have to evoke positive emotion activation and not negative emotion activation by just compliance and having this kind of authoritative approach, which I think you know BMI perpetuates. So, if you think your kid has a weight issue, how do you know? Well. You should be working with your pediatrician on that. And they hopefully will start to transition to really focus on health. There are a lot of amazing doctors out there, so I'm definitely not going to 
criticize um, physicians, but I do know that there is a lot of work to do as I've coached a lot of um, parents who, you know, the parents are concerned about the child's weight gain, maybe during the pandemic, they have a family history of diabetes or health concerns. They know the child's, the teen's health behaviors. They're like, they are not good and we need some help. But, and I'll ask, I'll say, well, what did their doctor say? And they're like, nothing, nothing at all. And I think that that makes it so hard for parents. um, And I know it does because they tell me like they have no leverage to, to really focus on the issue. I mean, the weight gain is a symptom of underlying, you know, health behaviors that they maybe want to work on but, and health conditions perhaps, but obviously we need to work up and evaluate comorbidity. So if the doctor isn't doing that, that's very concerning. And the other thing is if the doctor doesn't have the conversation and really frame it up as a health issue, then it makes it really hard for the parents because then they feel like, and the teen feels like their parent is only focused on the weight. It's like, oh, well, my doctor didn't say anything, so it must not be a problem. So why are you so obsessed with it? Yeah. I think one of the challenges too, is that you're in the room with your child. And so they're very hesitant to say something because they don't want the child to feel bad about their weight. Right. And I wrote a whole cut the cringe, healthy conversation script to help parents, uh, be able to address these issues and actually have open conversations about health, about weight, about body image, specifically after they've come from the doctor and maybe the doctor mentioned something about BMI. Yeah, it is hard for doctors, but um, we can all do better. And we can say things like, I mean, because you do measure that in every patient, whether you're measuring weight or BMI, and you're like, okay, there's, there's ways to approach it that are compassionate, that are open-ended. Obviously, they need to be screening for anxiety, for depression, for eating disorders. And we need to get away from, one of the things we really need to get away from is associating BMI with an eating disorder diagnosis because anybody can have anorexia uh, at any BMI. And so it. I know it's hard. I understand. i I, that's been my work. I know it is a customer service job. We don't want to take parents off, but if doctors knew like what I knew when I'm coaching parents, parents really want the support and the help because they are worried about it and its effects on their kids, especially like they want their kids to have healthy habits and they want their teens to have self-confidence and they do feel like their teen's weight is in the way of those things. Yeah. So, and so what do you think are some widespread t- changes that have to happen to tackle childhood obesity? First of all, I think we need to, like I said, like reclaim health and, uh, and start talking about the issue of the epidemic of insulin resistance. And we have to, I coach a lot of parents who are really stuck in the diet culture kind of pursuit of thin privilege. That's kind of what they've been raised with. It's very, you know, this internalized bias, like my kid isn't going to have a successful life. They're not going to be happy unless they achieve this external standard. And so we work on like deconstructing that and then work on the relational health between the parent and the teen. Um, So those are the things within the home, obviously family meal times, trying to 
decrease ultra-processed foods, helping our children and teens cope with their emotions, be more aware of emotions, role model self-compassion. You don't have to be a perfect eater or perfect with fitness. You want to role model self-compassion. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. It's okay. We move on. You know, it doesn't mean I'm a failure. So within the home, those are some things we can do. Obviously within healthcare, we need to move forward with uh, new strategies to determine how we can actually support the evidence base shows that a patient needs 26 to 75 hours of comprehensive behavioral intervention in order to really affect significant change. Um, and they looked at BMI. And, and so how do we help them get that when we're in a healthcare setting where you see a patient, um, you know, once every two to three months and those healthcare systems, those weight management programs are very geared toward funneling the, um, the teens, especially to bariatric surgery right away. So we got, we got to move away from that. We got to talk about insulin resistance. And then there's also obviously all the things we've been talking about around access to care um, healthy uh, food access, addressing social determinants of health, screening for those. And I, a lot of, even though the data doesn't look good and, you know, with inflation, like you mentioned, there's going to be maybe even more ultra processed foods in homes and negative, negatively impacting children. Um, there have been some some positives with my nonprofit working on the community level. Anything that is family-based is community build, where you're just really connecting. You're giving families an opportunity to cook together, to move together, to have fun. Um, and it's just one of the things I do on TikTok, to be honest. Uh, it's one of the good things about TikTok is I thought, you know, I paid thousands of dollars for my life and weight coaching, but I show up and I'm, I have followers who have reached out to me and say, thank you. You piqued my interest. I read the obesity code. I, you know, I show up for your lives and they have reversed their prediabetes and in use some of the tools just from my coaching them on TikTok. That's awesome. So on a very practical level, what can parents do to prevent childhood obesity or if their kids, you know, have gained weight throughout the years, what, what can they do to, to intervene? So first of all, never talk about weight. Um, and, and we're, you're focusing on health. So redefine health for you. Uh, the teens that I coach, they defined, you know, physical and mental, emotional health are interconnected. You can't have one without the other was their definition. And that small changes count. They really want to know from their parents, like, that they don't have to be like, that it's enough. Like even if they make a small change, like drinking more water, that that's enough. Uh, parents get out of your kid's lane when they're eating. There is so much harm and damage when the parents are judging, giving the kid a look. And, um, and for parents too, this deconstructing diet culture, don't bash your body. Don't talk about your weight and food and eating don't do a lot of body checking in the mirror because even if you're saying the right things, when they see you doing that, they internalize that and that messaging. And, um, and so you don't want the kid to think my parent will not accept me unless I am at like a certain weight that my acceptance and love from my parent is conditional upon my 
external appearance. So first of all, you know, that's really um, important. Obviously, get your kid to the doctor. And then I, my whole philosophy is let's meet in the middle because a lot of parents are hanging back and forth between like, I feel so guilty and shame and I cause this. And they're almost like attached to their self-judgment, like that's an action they're taking. And it's, it's actually pretty interesting and strange. And I'm just learning about this. And then they go to the other side where, and I'm like, well, what happens if you, you know, say no when she wants, uh, you know, her third dessert for the day? And she said, I feel like I'm depriving her. So any change at all means that they're being mean and they feel guilty and shame about that. And so we gotta, we gotta get out of pinging back and forth between the extremes as parents and just move forward. Like let's meet in the middle. Let's move forward with some positive actions. So family meal times and all the positives that come from that are huge in promoting a uh, positive body image is the other thing. And those two things, promoting a positive body image and family meal times are the two things that can prevent disordered eating and unhealthy weight gain. If you do all those things, could your child still have a weight issue and is it okay? Absolutely. So that's the first thing. Some of the beautiful work I've done since we talked is with the body positive. Um, and it's just an amazing um, institute. It's a nonprofit. And there's five components to body positivity. And the reality is uh, every body is different and body diversity is a fact and should be celebrated. And everybody has a healthy weight set point, like a range when, and it's based on our habits. So if we're pretty, if we're eating pretty well consistently, I mean, we're not going to be perfect and that's good. We want to stay out of the perfection and restriction. And so so if we're eating pretty well, we're sleeping well, we're moving our bodies in a way that we enjoy, we are um, reducing our stress, um, we're practicing mindfulness and self intentional self-care, we're building community, um, we have the tools of self-compassion, then, then you'll get there. But, um, you know, we don't cause and we don't control our kids' health and weight, there are things that we can do to reduce risk. So parents recognize your role is that you're going to show up and decide how you're going to show up. So I coach parents, what's your future self? How are you going to show up? I'm going to show up loving and supportive and accepting. That's what one mom said. Another one wanted to be like open, open, compassionate, and curious. And um, so that's really cool. So they, that's how they show up with, you know, family mealtime or when their kid comes to them and maybe has, is struggling with their body image or their, you know, homecoming dress isn't fitting and they have to let it out. Um, you know, they're there to listen and validate the feelings, have compassion and support, but not, you know, fix and solve. This is all good stuff. I'm so glad you brought this up. I know you ha- you were quoted in an article on today.com about the almond mom. So can you talk about that? Because it is a fascinating conversation. It is. And so Yolanda Hadid is the famous almond mom. So she has two supermodel daughters and she's a supermodel herself. And so she was on The Real Housewives. And there, someone on TikTok put a compilation of her uh, basically with these restricted eating practices specifically with her daughter Gigi and she had 
her daughter Gigi had on one phone call that she made to her mom had eaten only half an almond during the day and she felt really weak. And her mom said, um, eat two almonds and chew them up, you know, really well. And there were so many things in this compilation that were just really harmful. And Yolanda was very fixated on her daughter's weight and thinness and, you know, just really, you know, coaching her as, you know, a supermodel. And um, so anyway, when this compilation came out, then it just went viral on TikTok. And so many people were making videos about having an almond mom, like uh, a moment on the lips, forever on the hips, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, those kind of things. Did you have a mom like that? You know, and, and then people were like, oh my gosh, this is so harmful. This was my mom and it's so annoying. And um, there's just a lot of harm and a lot of people voicing that they had disordered eating from it. And so when I saw this video come up, I was like noticing this trend in the parents that I coach that they are stuck in that. And I was like kind of cringing. And I mean, I love all the parents that I coach, but I've started these workshops. And then I noticed that they are stuck in this pursuit of thin privilege and wanting that social capital of thinness for their kid. And actually saying, you know, I think that she would be better if she was this smaller size. And even if they don't have a weight issue. And so I was like, you know, super disheartened after learning this. And then I said, oh my gosh, this is what this is. And so I did a video on it on TikTok about what do almond moms really believe and saying that, you know, they frame it up as health, but they're actually pursuing thin privilege. And it's almost like they're extending that disordered eating, that restrictive eating onto their kid. It's like they're subsuming them into it. And it's very harmful. So that went viral. And then I started to get some reach outs from Newsweek and then Today.com. And then I did an interview on NBC News with Rahema Ellis about almond moms. So I think that, yeah, I, I think it's a really important conversation. I think that especially for those of us who have people in their family who are overweight, where there's that genetic component, it's it's really easy to, to kind of... Con- it, it's easy to pass on that fear as you're raising your own children and trying to model healthy habits and balance the, you know, the worry. And so what can we do? Should we just, like you're saying, kind of shut your mouth, bite your lip and, and just continue to model healthy eating habits? If you shut your mouth and bite your lip, one mom I was coaching did that. And she's like proud of that. But I'm like, but it's all there still in your head. Uh huh. Yeah. So you're just resisting it. So it's all based on, you know, she wasn't ready at that conversation and at that time to let it go. Um, So it's, and I did so much work with my, with the, you know, body positive trainings around this and my own, and I'm almost 54 and I had to, I'm just deconstructing all of this now. Okay. You cannot grow up in our culture that is so messed up and not have some fat phobia and internal bias, internalized bias. Yeah. And so just really checking in on it, deconstructing it, letting go of those beliefs and um, doing that work is so important. And so what I do is I commit to never restricting myself. And those I have, I, the, my most viral post on TikTok was just like me talking about my whole philosophy 
And that's commit to no restriction. Calorie restriction and restrictive practices are harmful. They lead to binging and disordered eating. And it always does in kids 100% of the time. So we cannot do that. The number two thing is you've got to be a soft place to land for your kid. I mean, that's what we want. So you get to decide, work on relational health, that emotional connectedness, because who cares? I mean, we care about our kids. Yeah. And so, so be a soft place to land for your kid. If they're gaining weight or whatever, that's not, I mean, don't make it anything about yourself as a parent. Some parents feel embarrassed. They feel guilt and shame. They got there that it makes their kids weight means something about them as a parent. And so you got to deconstruct all that. You got to write it down, do the thought work. You know, what are the beliefs, the powerful thoughts that are in your brain that you keep staying attached to that you want to, you know, do the work on and be willing to show up and do that work Um, and look at all measures of health. Okay. And also, you know, recognize you don't cause and control all of it. (laughs) Right. Just like anything else as a parent, right? This is, this was so great, Dr. Lester. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Well, check out my website, imecommunity.com. Follow me at imecommunity and check out Dr. Carla with a K on TikTok. That's where I am most of the time. I have a podcast, um, IME Community, and I have a YouTube channel. Uh, um, And then folks can get um, connected with me through, I have uh, 30-minute coaching sessions where we really go through all of the issues that um, parents are having maybe with their teen and concerns and get them on a healthier path so they can connect with me in that way. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That was such a great interview with Dr. Lester. She says that the images our kids see on social media, that's the standard and it's unattainable. It's unhealthy to reach it. And it makes our kids feel like they're never enough. They can never do enough. They can never rise to that standard. So powerful. Definitely check out her IME community to learn more, which I've linked to in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I'm going on hiatus for a while, but I will be back in 2023 with all of the amazing guests and stories you've come to expect. Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. 